We thank you for joy and for sorrow, for laughter and for tears. We thank you that you meet us in all of that. We thank you that you are the one who encourages and the one who comforts, the one who invites us to new experiences with you and one another and who also challenges us and convicts us in places that need to change. Lord, you are good and your word is always right and always on time. And so we pray that we would receive whatever word you have for us today. Amen. At my previous church, uh, I would often begin uh, a sermon by saying, the Lord be with you, and the congregation would respond, and also with you. And I would like to receive your word and your encouragement today. And so I'll begin. May the Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen. So we are, are beginning this fall here, this September, with our new uh, season of small groups. And uh, this fall, we are going through one of the, the key components of our church, one of the key ingredients of our church, which is steadfast worship. About five or six years ago, our elders went through a time of, of discernment, took, I don't know, a year, maybe 18 months. of We, we thought we were going to discern God's plan for the next five or seven years of our church's life. And um, in his mercy, he led us to something different, really led us to defining who we are and who he's made us to be. And there were four key characteristics that emerged over that time of prayer and fasting and talking together and with other members of the congregation. And those were steadfast worship, healing community, uncommon unity, and faithful witness. And so for the last uh, three years, we have written a curriculum for our small groups on those themes and then have taken September, October, and November as an opportunity to preach on that theme uh, so that we can just be more united as, as a church, remembering who God has called us to be, um, who he has made us to be. And so next week, we're going to begin on the, on the first uh, week of this. But this week, what I want to do is talk about small groups and the importance of the small group communities in the life of our church. I want to encourage those of you who are not yet a part of a group to consider that and to pray about that, and also to give some encouragement to those of you who are already in a small group, reminding you of what your responsibilities are as a small group member. So with that, would you pray with me as we turn to God's word? Father, we do pray that you would speak to us through your word to us today. I pray that it would be a fresh and a new word, and I would pray that it would be the word that you have for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture today is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, today we're going to be talking about the responsibilities of membership. And I put small group in parentheses there. Um, just to say that responsibilities of small group membership really isn't any different from responsibilities of membership in the body of Christ. But our small groups give us an opportunity to live out those responsibilities in a particular and tangible sort of way. You know, there are 100, 150 people or so in here today. You can't live out all of this with that many people. We're not even like a really large church. But you can't be kind and humble and gentle and patient and bear with everybody their grievances. You don't even have grievances with everybody in the church yet. But you have grievances with those that you're close to, with those who you have harmed or who have harmed you. It's in those intimate relationships where we have an opportunity to live these words out in a very tangible and particular kind of way. And remember, Paul's letters were written to churches that usually gathered in homes. In the early days of the church in these cities, the church maybe only had a few dozen people who were even Christian yet in these cities. And so they, they gathered in homes, not large buildings like we have here. They gathered in homes, maybe just a couple dozen people gathered together to worship and to sing and to pray and to, to talk about their hopes and to talk about uh, what God was doing in their life, uh, to talk about marriage and raising kids, all as followers of Jesus. And so as Paul was writing this letter to the church in Colossae, he had in mind these small groups gathered in homes. He had in mind something that was much more similar to your small group on Wednesday or Thursday night than he would have imagined something like we're doing right now. It was these small group communities where people gathered together, where he talked about their responsibilities toward one another as followers of Jesus. So your small group is a place for you to live out Paul's instructions in a very unique and tangible way. There are a few times in Paul's letters where he gives similar kinds of instructions as he does here in the book of Colossians. One is in Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 3. This sounds very similar. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Again, these instructions were given in Paul's imagination as he's writing this letter to a small group of gatherings, small groups of gatherings in homes in the city of Ephesus. And then again, in Philippians, we just preached three Philippians, and this is what he says in chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, 
having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. These are the kinds of instructions that Paul writes to these home churches gathered, trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus together in these cities. And I want to suggest to you that Paul seems to have two assumptions um, about what it means to follow Jesus in these communities. First of all, he assumes that followers of Jesus will live in close relationship with one another. Again, he's assuming here relationships where people know each other, where there's some intimacy and when there's a possibility of conflict. And so he just assumes that followers of Jesus know one another. They're a part of one another's lives um, day to day, if not week to week, and uh, they know one another. And he also assumes a second thing. Followers of Jesus will live in close relationship and it won't be easy. It won't be easy. Just notice how realistic these verses are about the relationships that Paul is talking about. Paul knows that life in Christian community won't be easy because there are people in it. When you become a part of a small group, it's not an invitation into a small little utopia. Some perfect little community where everyone is kind, where everyone is thoughtful, where everybody comes with deep, insightful thoughts about the scriptures or about your life. It's assumed that if we're going to live closely together, there are going to be many, many opportunities to express patience. Many opportunities to bear with one another's faults. There's going to be very many opportunities to, in humility, consider the other person more important than yourself, even when that is really hard. The assumption in Paul's letters as he's imagining writing to these churches in these cities is that we're going to have the kind of intimacy with one another where we get on one another's last nerve. And in that moment, that's when these instructions are important. Your actions are going to be careless and you're going to need forgiveness. She's not going to come through for you in the way that you hoped that she would. He's going to do that thing that really annoys you. And it's in those moments where Paul's instructions are most important. And Christian community is where we begin to put into practice all of those things that we've received from Jesus. Christian community is where we begin to put into practice what we have received ourselves from Jesus. It's where we practice the gospel where we practice the gospel. Small groups are important because they are where we have an opportunity to put Paul's instructions into practice in a very real and tangible way, where we extend forgiveness, where we extend reconciliation, where we extend patience, where we bear with one another's burdens, and where we do that in a very tangible and particular way with a few people. Small groups are also not easy Because all of us in Christian community have our ideas about what Christian community should be. We have ideals in our head of what our small group should be like. And our small groups usually fail to be and to meet those ideal standards. 
You all know that I have a great appreciation for uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in World War II Germany, and uh, he, he started this small underground seminary uh, during Nazi Germany. He has a wonderful little book called Life Together. It's like 80 pages. You can read it in a sitting or two, where he describes uh, the call to Christian community and all that that requires of us if we're going to be faithful to Jesus. And one of the things he says is this, that he who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the community, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. He who loves his dream, his ideal of this group of 10 people that gather in your home, if you love that dream more than you love those 10 people, you are going to carry expectations and burdens into that group that they're not supposed to be carrying. And friends, we always, we always have a gap between the way that things are and the way that we know that they should be. And we've read in the Bible about the early church and what the early church was like in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 4, how they gathered together in their homes every single day and they ate meals together and they broke bread together and they shared all of their resources together. And we think, wow, why couldn't we be like that? Why can't our church, why can't our community be like that? Well, I want to tell you, the early church wasn't like the early church. Very quickly in the book of Acts, we find out that they are arguing with one another. That experience of unity that's described in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, it doesn't last forever because there were people in it. Small group isn't always totally awesome. Man, Pastor Ryan, are you trying to get me to join a small group or are you trying to get me to leave small groups this week? I don't <laughs> In those groups, though, are people who are sinners and who are broken just like you. People who have been hurt by others and people who have hurt others. People who need to experience the reality of the gospel. Tangible, in the flesh, with one another. Forgiveness, reconciliations, patience, humility, all of those things that we have received from Jesus we all need to experience from others. And so for always pursuing this dream, this, this ideal of Christian community, we won't ever experience actual Christian community because broken people just get in the way of our ideals. Again, Dietrich says this, if we do not give thanks daily for the Christian fellowship in which we have been placed even where there is not great experience, no discoverable riches, but much weakness, small faith, and difficulty. If, on the contrary, we only keep complaining that everything is so paltry and petty, so far from what we expected, then we hinder God from letting our fellowship grow according to the measure and riches which are there for us all in Jesus Christ. 
Friends, there is often a very big chasm between what we know the church should be, what we know our small groups should be, and what we actually experience. We often experience difficulty, weakness, small faith, sin, failure, insufficiency. And in that moment, God is there working in us to teach us how to be more like Jesus, to teach us how to bear with the faults of others. God is working in that moment to join us together with friends who will do then also the same for us. So, in Paul's letters, he assumes that Christians are going to share life together, are going to know one another more than just an hour on a Sunday morning, and he also assumes that it's not going to be easy. So, in that context, what are our responsibilities as a small group member? First is this, show up. Make it a priority in your life. If you choose to be a part of a small group, make it a priority in your life. Of course, life happens. There's, there's sickness. There's events that can't be avoided. Work schedules shift around and change. But when we encourage you that if you choose to become a part of a small group, make it a priority in your life. When you choose to join, those nights should be inked in on your calendar. Showing up is important. And if you don't have any responsibilities in the group, if you're not the host or if you're not the leader, sometimes it's easier at 5.30 to just think, you know, it's been a long day. I'm feeling a bit tired. Netflix seems a lot easier. It's kind of hot outside. It's kind of cold outside. It's raining. Whatever the excuse would be. I'm an introvert. I know all of these excuses very, very well. But showing up when your group is meeting is important. Your presence is important, and your absence is felt. It's felt. And following through with our responsibilities in a group is important. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, Paul's talking here about each person giving what they decide to give in their own heart. He says this, each of you should give whatever you have decided in your heart to give. And he's talking here about the offerings that we bring to the church. But I think there's application here to our decision of giving ourselves to a small group. If you've decided in your heart to give yourself to that group for a period of time, then do it. Part of your following Jesus is following through with the commitments that you have made. And one of the most discouraging things about being in a small group, especially as a leader or a host, is when there are a few people who are just kind of halfway in, who just show up when it's only convenient, who show up when they don't have anything better to do. And so as you're considering these groups, I encourage you to pray about your commitment, whether you can show up just on the nights that you're planning to meet, but not to show up just on those nights, but also in the other parts of what it means to be a part of group life as well. To remember that these groups are more than simply an event to check off of a box, but to remember that these are men and women that you are called to give yourself to and that they are giving themselves to you. And so when there's someone in the group who's sick, that you would be there for them in whatever way you can, to pray or to bring them a meal or whatever is necessary. When someone has lost their job and they show up at the group, 
to be the one to say, you know, I think we can toss out the agenda, the lesson, and let's just pray for this couple who's in this season of loss. To show up to those sorts of moments that all of us will likely have in a small group this year. Some sort of loss, some death in the family, some loss of a job, some disappointment. To show up to those moments as well. I know groups who watch one another's kids regularly for date nights. Um, I remember one of my very first experiences here as the pastor of Broadway like nine years ago. Um, and, and, and Ruth, where are you? Ruth, your husband Tom had just passed away. It's a month or so into my time being a pastor here. And I didn't know Ruth too, too well. She was on the search committee, but I uh, knew she was a, uh, the dear woman that she is. But I didn't know her too well. And I just remember going to the hospital and getting onto the elevator and thinking, man, I'm going to go as a pastor to, to meet this new widow and just feeling all the weight of that as a pastor. And I got there and most of her small group was already there. It's like, I like this church. There was care there given. People who were already showing up to a person who is in need. And I want to suggest to you that when we show up, when we show up on those evenings where we would really rather stay home, when we make the small group a priority, when it's easier not to, it's in those moments where we are actually beginning to form the invisible bonds and ties with one another that draw us together, that then make it possible for us to be with one another in those times of trial. Let me say that again. It's in those moments where we choose to show up where we choose to uh, uh, go even when we don't want to. It's in those moments where the Spirit, I think, is, is tying us together. We're saying, this group is important to me. I'm committed to this group. So this group can then be, in that moment of need, who you need them to be. Does that make sense? So, responsibility of a small group member to, to show up. Second is to offer and to receive correction. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Of course, I'm going to give three today. There are lots of responsibilities. You can read them here yourself in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. I'm going to point out three of them today. To offer and receive correction. Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish with one another with all wisdom. Admonish. It's a word we need to bring back. Admonish. We are called to offer and receive correction. You and I are very good at self-deception. We are capable of all sorts of ways of deceiving ourselves, of making excuses for ourselves, of justifying our careless actions. And the only way, the only way to guard ourselves from self-deception is to submit ourselves to other people who are committed to us. Committed to seeing God make us who God has made us to be. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another. We need one another to speak the word of Christ to us. We need people who know us well enough to notice when there's something up. We need others who know when we are hiding 
We need others who know us well enough when we need some tender grace and also when we need a hard truth spoken to us. We need people who know us well enough to bear with us when we're struggling and also to tell us when we're really being a fill in the blank. Now, I hope you have people in your life who fill in that blank with the appropriate saltiness. Let the word of Christ dwell in you as you teach and admonish one another. We need people in our lives to do that for us, and we need to be willing to do the same. And it's hard. We don't like it, but our brothers and sisters need it. So here is a challenge I have for you. There are some small groups that have been together for four or five or more years now, and it's been nice. You like each other. You've gone through some stuff together. You've shown up and you've brought the meals and you've cared for each other. Maybe for some of your groups that have been together for a while, the challenge is maybe it's time to move beyond nice and to become kind. Maybe it's time to move into teaching and admonishing one another with the word of Christ. Time to take the risk to speak words of challenge to one another that aren't just nice, but are are kind. That are the right word, the word of Christ for that person in that moment. So I suggest that there are a few groups in here that are mature enough and have been together long enough to receive and consider that challenge today. You've been together a long time. You're beginning to see that maybe God is calling you to move to that deeper place with each other. You've built trust with one another. You know that you are for each other. You know that you want what is best for one another. And now, in the grace of Christ, you need to begin to speak and to live out the truth and challenge of Christ together, too. Offer and receive correction. Third, responsibilities. Offer and receive forgiveness. Paul writes, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, I think it's a curious and interesting word that Jesus says here. Uh, John chapter 20, this is after the resurrection. Jesus is speaking with his disciples. After the resurrection, they've been in the upper room. They're scared, and he comes to them, and he says this. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then here's the words that are really wild. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The church is called to be the bearer of forgiveness to others. And that includes us declaring the good news of the gospel, that before a righteous God, through faith, that we can have our sins forgiven, and stand in his presence through the blood of Jesus. And we are a community that's called to express that forgiveness to other people. When someone receives the declaration, you are forgiven through Jesus, they need to then experience that through the hands and feet and words and presence of other believers. The church is the place where people experience the embrace of the love of God through our love for them. This does not mean that if 
Sage harms me and I don't forgive him that somehow he's eternally in trouble. His salvation, his forgiveness of God is not dependent on mine. But Sage's experience of that forgiveness is dependent on my willingness to forgive and then to move into relationship with him. And we are called to be that kind of community, to extend the forgiveness of Jesus so that they can experience what that looks like. And one of the most important journeys that we can take as individuals and as a church is to go from just understanding the truth of the gospel in our heads to begin to tangibly work it out among one another. And this is one of the callings, one of the responsibilities that we have as small groups with one another to forgive as the Lord forgave us. When someone harms us, that we would be willing to remember how much harm we have done and to extend to them the forgiveness that we've received from Jesus. So I want to just finish with a time to, to be quiet and to reflect and to consider a few challenges. First of all, if you are not a part of a small group, if you would just take this time and throughout this week to pray about that, whether God is calling you to make the kinds of commitments, I'm sure none of you like feel like well, that's really hard <laughs> from the message today, but it's important. And it's the only place where real growth can happen is in this kind of community. So I'd encourage you to consider the challenge to join. There are um, lists at the back of some of our, our groups that are open and have plenty of space to receive people. And so you can sign up there um, at the back if you'd like to join. Second, if you're already in a small group, I would like to, for you to just consider your commitment. What of these responsibilities that I've mentioned today or uh, responsibilities that Paul writes in other places, what what do you need to step into more as a church community, as a small group or as an individual? How can you more faithfully live out the calling that Paul gives to us? What is the next step toward intimacy? What's required? What sort of, of challenge to your group is God calling you to? In what ways do you need to extend reconciliation or, or forgiveness there in the group? So let's give you a couple of minutes to be quiet and to consider whatever a challenge or invitation God is offering to you today. God in heaven, thank you for speaking today, and I pray that you would continue to move each one of us more closely into community with others. Lord, if that is through a small group here at Broadway, that that connection would happen. Uh, Lord, if there are some other avenue where you're calling someone here to move into um, intimacy and, and community with other believers, that you would lead them to that. God, I, I thank you for how you've made us here at Broadway, the kind of community that you've made us, that, that I didn't need to stand up here and be a cheerleader today, but could tell the truth about our human frailty and about our sinfulness and about what it means to be in community together. And God, I pray that we would see your work in all of that, that God, in our weakness and frailty, that's where you show up. In the gap between where we are and where we should be, that's all the space that you take up. And so God, I, I pray we would experience that in a very real way. And I ask for it in Jesus' name, amen.